trust that God can do something. And it's crazy sometimes, I mean, again, this started off with a small video that was maybe a little bit countercultural and and went somewhere. God, God can do that through little small acts of just, I'm going to say something, I'm going to do something. And it's awesome to see how he can then use that for something great and glorious. Well, welcome to the Decision Point Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hopson, president of Decision Point, where we are calling a generation to stand for Christ, live for Christ, witness for Christ, and endure hardship for his name because he is worth it. And hey, we are teeing up a series today that we're calling A Call to Courage. And we were going to be launching into that series in full force today. We actually had already recorded an episode for that. Uh, And then just last week, we made a new friend, uh, Pastor Jamie in Northern Ireland, who uh, made a video that went viral that you may have seen and you'll see uh, on our podcast today. Uh, And Jamie was kind enough to uh, connect last week and actually join us for the podcast today. So we're doing a special episode to tee off our series, A Call for Courage, uh, which we'll get into more fully next week. So in the meantime, Jamie, welcome to the program. It's great to have you on today. Thank you very much for having me. Great to be with you. Okay, so Jamie, tell us your full name and uh, where are you calling in from today for people who aren't familiar with you already? Sure, yeah. So uh, I'm, so my full name, I, I got to say it the way I say it, and then I'll say it the way everybody else would say it. So it's Jamie Bambrick, but to Americans, that maybe sounds like Jimmy. So it's Jamie Bambrick, uh, and I am uh, from Belfast, Northern Ireland, so uh, God's own country, as I would like to call it. That's great. I wanted uh, you to say it, not me. So one more time, as you would say it, just because we got to hear that one more time. Jamie Bambrick. Yeah, there we go. That's great. So, uh, Jamie, you made a video last week that went bonkers around the world. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second. But first, tell us about, you have a couple day jobs. Right. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So I'm an associate pastor at a church here in Northern Ireland. So a Church of Ireland church. It's part of the Anglican, uh, global Anglican communion. We're a bit more um, conservative than perhaps the Church of England, which may have, I don't know if it made it into your news. It's been big news over here. Um, but we're we're good. so really great evangelical church that I'm part of here, uh, called Hope Church in Craigavon. And then uh, also I work with my dad with diesel generators in a job that I describe as Homer Simpson's job. So I push buttons to turn diesel generators on and off occasionally. And other than that, I also uh, have a and then actually yes, I run a, a YouTube channel, a little bit of social media stuff as well, which is just my personal thing. But yeah, so three things keep it keeps me off the streets. Keeps you off the streets. You have a wife and two sons, if I recall. That's right. Yeah, my wife, uh, Danny, she's from Bulgaria, actually. Um, but uh, we've lived here. We met in Sweden. And uh, then we we lived here. We've lived here since um, for a decade now. And then, yeah, two boys, Jack, who's five, and Caden, who is 18 months nearly, just coming up in 18 months. That's great. And I met I met him on one of our Zoom calls last week. Uh, a handsome lad you're raising. Absolutely. Yeah, big bruiser. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get that. He looked like he could play in the NFL. We're going to get to the NFL now, I guess. So, okay, uh, you watched uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, first of all, tell us what in the world is a guy in Northern Ireland doing watching our crazy Super Bowl? Yeah, well, so so uh, the NFL is actually big. I'm a big NFL fan. I, I've loved the NFL for a long time. Got into it actually on a... The first time I ever watched it was on a flight from Atlanta, Georgia to Birmingham, Alabama. I had a connecting flight 
and Alabama was playing LSU, so big local rivalry, and everybody on the plane was watching and cheering for Alabama. Uh, and I immediately like just got gripped by the sport. Obviously, that's college football, but then I've since got into the NFL as well. And uh, yeah, so watching that for a while, a lot of guys over here actually do watch it. So we play rugby. It's a big sport here. Ireland are the best rugby team in the world. Uh, at the moment, which is which is great. Um, so a lot of guys play rugby and then end up watching NFL because obviously there's a little bit of crossover there and it's a, it's a good sport. So followed NFL for a long time, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's good fun. I've never I've never played, which is sad. Although I, I, I like every rugby player, we sort of think, yeah, I could probably I could do okay. I I don't I could I obviously couldn't you know play at any serious level, but you know if you throw me the ball, I'll probably catch it and run. That would be the plan. Or tackle. I've got several friends that would be thrilled and honored to know that an Alabama football game was your gateway drug to football, but I've got some South African friends that would probably be offended by your comment about who's the king of that hill. Right, yeah. Well, annoyingly, South Africa won the World Cup just recently, but Ireland are actually the best team in the world. We had a bad game, but we are definitely the superior side. Uh, And as far as the Alabama thing goes, roll tide. (laughs) <laughs> you're all things to all people almost so that's great so so you're watching this uh this nfl game you watch this uh this ad this he gets us ad uh and then two days later you make an alternate ad that you said hey here's an ad they should have made which you know i know you say that with love and respect to all that went uh just crazy around the world can you tell us a little bit about just the build-up to that yeah, so yeah, as as a lot of people who watched the game and saw that advert were and who are Christians was was perturbed by by what I saw in the original he gets us advert which showed Jesus washing feet uh, but uh, but then at the end said this thing of Jesus doesn't preach hate and the implication if you've seen the original is that Christians who perhaps are standing against sin or who are perhaps calling people to repent of sin are preaching hate. That, that's that's what I think a reasonable person watching that original advert would have taken from that. And so like a lot of people, I was, I was you know, a bit perturbed by that. And I had actually been, interestingly enough, I'd been a bit frustrated just with, with how the channel had been going recently. I'd had a couple of videos that I put a lot of work into and didn't really go anywhere. And it's not all about numbers or anything like that, but you want you want to see people, you know, connecting with it and and taking something from it and being blessed by it. And so I was praying actually after watching the Super Bowl on the on the Monday, just praying for the channel, praying for an idea. And I jumped on to Twitter because that's where one goes for leading and guidance from the Lord. And uh a friend of mine on there, a guy called Josh Dawes, had put up a tweet about, it'd be great, you know, we're a creative bunch, it'd be great if someone remade this in some fashion, in a better way, with a better message. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do that, actually. And then straight after that, he tagged me in a in a comment underneath it, just saying, you would do this well. I was like, oh, I've, I've got a plan. So quickly on the, on the Tuesday, I had a little break in work and was like, I'll spend an hour, put this together. Very simple video to make put it on the internet and it immediately like I've I you know you put stuff up and sometimes it goes reasonably well and sometimes it doesn't go very far and this one immediately was like oh this is this has done something different like it really went crazy just everybody liking retweeting commenting um the guys from the Babylon B picked it up actually I think the first person to comment on it was was one of I think their managing editor 
um, and he retweeted and and then they put it on their website and it just went from there crazy around the world. So ended up getting a few million views on across Twitter, YouTube, and then also people reposting it on Instagram. It got got a, yeah a few million on there. So yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Um, and but but I think what was interesting about it was that it clearly seemed to. It's been interesting how well received it was across the body of Christ for those that are that are um not compromised, you would say. Um, you know, so so all, all different spectrums and people that might disagree on a bunch of secondary issues felt that that was a better representation of the gospel that we would want to give to the world. And so I think that's why it went the way it did. It just seemed to reflect, I think, the heart of the church, which which is, yep, do you know what? We love people, but we also want to see them saved from their sin, which was the main point of what I made. So for anybody who hasn't seen uh, the ad, we should probably play it for him real quick. So this will be on YouTube and on podcasts. So there'll be some people who are going to be listening only. If they want to see uh, Jamie's handsome mug, you got to actually come on the YouTube channel. Uh, but also if you want to see the ad, you can just YouTube it. But just for anybody that will be just listening only, can you just describe visually what they'll be seeing? And then we'll play it for him real quick. Sure. Yeah. So for those that are listening, uh, there are a number of images of relatively well-known, uh, at least within the Christian sphere, stories of people that came to faith. So it's the images of those people from a variety of different backgrounds. So there was someone who was involved in witchcraft, someone who, uh, I can't remember them all, the exact order off the top of my head, but there was a former gang leader, a former drug addict, a former porn star, someone who was formerly transgender, someone who was formerly a lesbian activist. So there's those images with then the little tagline put in front of them as former this, former that. And then at the end, uh, it says, Jesus doesn't just get us, Jesus, or he saves us. And then it goes through, you know, he heals, restores, forgives, transforms, something along those lines. Again, can't remember the exact perfect order of everything. And then I close just with the the a line which is taken from 1 Corinthians 6, which lists a whole bunch of sins and then says, such were some of you. And so I, that's the line that I put in, such were some of you, because it's that idea of we were in our sins, but God has delivered and saved us from them in Christ. Well, that's powerful. Here, let's just play it real quick for anybody who has not yet seen this viral video. Don't ask me what you know is true. Don't have to tell you. I love your precious heart. I, I was standing. You were there. Two worlds colliding. And they. Never tear us apart. We can live for a thousand years. 
Wow. Okay, Jamie, that's amazing. Um, you nailed it on that <laughs> on that one. You talked a little bit about why you think this has resonated so much. I mean, I'd love for you, I guess, to say anything more about that. What are you hearing from people as they're bringing you on their shows or talking to you, even at your church? And I guess, um, I mean, what what hope do you take from that that people are so energized to see this type of message uh, go forward around the world? Yeah. Yeah, so so a couple of things. So one of the big things was that really blessed me was that so many people began to reflect on their former, like what they formerly were before they were saved. And so I think that was that was part of just the emotional resonance with it. And it caused people yep. to including including myself as I was making it, I was like, oh man, I'm so glad Jesus saved me. Like it's just such a wonderful thing to reflect on and renew your gratitude for that salvation, whatever the, you know, because sometimes we can get so caught up in our our sort of uh, intramural debates and uh, or even what we're doing for, for God and all of that's wonderful and I don't mind having good discussions, media discussions in various areas. But the core thing that unites the church is that Jesus has saved us and our just being drawn back to that, I think, was something that was was really awesome to see people just moved by what God had done in these people's lives, but then that pulling over into their own lives and, and them recalling how he had saved them. So I think that was a big part of why it resonated with people. It just caused them to reflect and be thankful. I, I think the other the other big reason that it resonated was I think it also shows, hopefully, at least this is this is my aim with it is it hopefully shows the heart of the church towards the world because a lot of the time Christians are accused of being hateful of being you know uh, uh bible bashing or imposing their morality or being judgmental and um it's not it's not that it's impossible for Christians to do that right we can we can get it wrong we can make those mistakes but generally speaking and in my experience uh, the Bible believing Christians and those those who have not compromised, and this obviously takes some of the the sort of more popular sins of our day, that people would say if you speak against that you are being judgmental. But generally speaking, like the vast majority of Bible believing Christians that I interact with, their heart for the world is to see them saved. It is a heart of love. Now it's a heart of love that doesn't turn into compromise. It doesn't turn into no, God doesn't call that sin, or yes, God, you know, God approves of all of your actions or anything like that. But it is no, we want you to receive Jesus and meet this Jesus in the same way that we have, in the same way that we have been saved from our sins, and it might not be the same sin that you've committed, and you know, that it might look a little bit different in terms of what you're saved from. But we all recognize that we were saved, that we, you know, there but for the grace of God, go I. And we want you to partake and receive that as well. So those are the two things that I think of that really sort of cause the the church globally, globally is a big term, but the church, those that saw it, it was a lot of people, to be excited about it because it was like, no, this is our heart for the world. You know, this this is what we want them to hear that, do you know what? We, yep, we're, we're not changing our stance, but we do love you and we do want to see you turn from that sin and turn to faith in Jesus. So that's that's my take anyway. I'm reflected in some of the conversations I've had as well since then. 
Yeah, I saw a lot of comments to that effect. I, I uh, saw Megan Basham, a reporter of the Daily Wire, and she just, I think on Twitter, just said, man, she's just paused almost in tears, reflecting on her own story. And, uh, you know, I think that's what a beautiful thing. You inspired people with that. And then just people just uh, desiring a, a more straightforward, clear, bold, direct presentation of the gospel that really our message ultimately is that Jesus died to save sinners like us and set us free from sin. And to me, as I just saw the energy for that, I thought, man, that is exciting to see because our our mission from, for the last 20 years has been all about bold, direct evangelism. I mean, we believe in the power of the gospel, that it is the power of God for salvation. And, and we can lead with that and expect great things to happen. And, <laughs> you know, like we don't need to get clever and lead with something else and then try to redirect. I mean, I guess you could do that, but that the gospel is the power of salvation and that we have a, a duty to share that boldly and clearly and unafraid. And in the power of the Spirit, expect that God will bring people to faith in himself. So I just was so excited when I saw your ad. Uh, so excited, I decided to be one of the scores of people that bombarded your Twitter feed that day and saying, hey, we got to talk. So I'd love for you to tell that from your perspective. You're getting bombarded with uh, emails and Twitter, and then this this guy from Chicago writes you and says, hey, want to talk. Uh, what was going through your mind as I was reaching out to you, bugging you for a Zoom call that will... Uh, unpack in a moment. Yeah, do you know what? I it was it was crazy. It did go a little bit nuts. Um, I I did. There were there were a lot of people that did reach out quickly, um, which was awesome. I was my my sort of take was look, it's great. To I, I want to. There, you, God's God's given a little bit of a, a moment of something that's happened here. I've been blessed to in some way be part of that and been like, oh wow, that I wasn't expecting that. And so my my thought was, I want to um, steward that well and 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 not not just sort of go, uh, you know, leave it and do nothing, but also not turn it into something where it becomes because you know you can turn people can get oh this is a you a chance to. Do a money grab or or some sort of thing for personal gain. So you reached out and you said um, about doing some that you you guys do testimony videos and are helping to reach um, students, young people um, by in in some serious numbers. And so I clicked on the website, checked out what you guys were doing. Immediately, it looked like you know this is something that is um, solid, like Bible believing not compromise, which I think is often, particularly in evangelistic ministry, often the tendency is to go, we're, we're going to water down in order to be more palatable. And I like that you guys have courage of your convictions and, um, you know, affinity theologically and all the big things as well. So I was like, oh, that's that's great. You know, um, so so yeah, we, we, we had a little bit of a phone call and I said, look, um, I'd be happy to, to help in some way if I can. So yeah, we, we sort of talked around a little bit and you guys have been putting together a campaign and I was like, yep, yeah, if if there's a way I can bless that, promote that, great, would love to do so because I think what you're doing seems to be really fruitful evangelistic ministry. And as this has been a little bit of an evangelistic viral moment, it's like, oh, let's bless something that can then off the like do something in the long term that can actually reach people, plug them into good churches, connect them with Christian friends and so on. Well, I really appreciate you linking arms in that way and uh, really appreciate your spirit on that. 
Uh, yeah, it's amazing. We've been just seeing this chance to share the gospel people online and to, to promote uh, testimony videos just like you had sketched out in that ad and to say, well, wait a minute, if people have a desire to see that happen, uh, we're doing that. Uh, we've got some plans to uh, run what we're calling a set free campaign uh, to share the message like you sketched in the video that Jesus not only saves, uh, gets us, but he saves us and sets us free. And so really appreciate you calling some attention to that. And we'll just see where this goes and appreciate the chance to make a new friend uh, with you. Uh, for students who are listening, you know, we're hoping this fall, as you guys are leading outreaches at your schools, that, you know, the theme will be set free, that you can lead a set free outreach in your schools and tell your schools, like many of you did this past fall, that Jesus can save us and set us free from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin when we live in his presence forever. And that as you're doing that, we could actually have a website that's just full of the stories like Jamie sketched in his video of people who have come to Christ and been saved and set free from all sorts of backgrounds that you could be pointing your friends to. And also know that maybe they'll have actually seen uh, an ad for that on their social media feed, which could reinforce what you're doing in your schools. So uh, we'd like students your help getting the word out about that. You can uh, go on our Instagram, find an ad that we made about that. Uh, and also you can point your friends to decisionpoint.org slash stories and see if anybody there wants to help spread the word about that initiative. Uh, but Jamie, I wanted to get into more of your work because I know you've got a much deeper body of work than one viral video, as profound as that was. Uh, after getting to know you a little bit through our calls and just seeing some of your work online, I found that you have a book on revival. Uh, can you tell us the name of that book and what led you to write that? Because I want to kind of get into some of your heart for revival that I think will be such an encouragement uh, to our students and listeners today. Sure. Yeah. So the book is called uh, The Coming Ulster Revival. And then the subtitle is Saving Northern Ireland and the West for the Glory of God and for the Crack. Now, I have to explain a couple of terms on that to the American audience because you're going to think, what's Ulster? And did you just talk about drugs? Now, so Ulster is basically another term for Northern Ireland. So my heart is my local place, I believe so much just in, it's, it's what God's put in my heart. I believe God puts you in a place and it might not be the place you grew up in. Sometimes it is, often it is. Um, and it's it's somewhere that I'm passionate about and believe that God could do something here and and have a just a, a burden for and to see, um, you know, the, the church grow and be established and reach this small, very small part of the world. So that's my heart. And then crack is spelled C-A-R-A-I-C. It is a Northern Irish term and it means, it, it can mean almost anything. It's one of those generic terms that you can, oh, it's good crack, but it kind of means good fun. So we're saving Northern Ireland for the and the West for the glory of God and because it'll be good fun. That's kind of the, the <laughs> sort of headline of it for those that don't know. I, I tell you, I, I read your book cover to cover over the weekend. It's a great read, and I know you're uh, you're both hopeful about what God will do, but somber about, well, it could go really south, and uh, it could go really south, so I appreciate that upbeat spirit about it. Uh, okay, Jamie, uh, you wrote your book, and you said you wanted it to be uh, mildly provocative uh, and a uh, what you called a loving poke in the eye. Uh, tell us about that poke in the eye that you think uh, the church needs today. Yeah, so so that idea comes from, so I wrote that whenever my uh, eldest son was two years old, I believe he may have just turned three, trying to recall. 
Anyway, it was around that age and I would be asleep. You know, if I was ever asleep on the sofa or anything, which is rare, but when you're a parent of young children, you get what sleep you can. Uh, he would come over, crawl over, and like any young child, in order to see if you were really asleep, would press his fingers very vigorously into your eyes and sort of yank your eyeballs open. And of course, by that point, you were you were fully awake, even if you had been asleep. So that was, yes, that, that was kind of my... My hope with the book was, uh, you know, if I look at the just the local spiritual state here, and this probably has truth in a lot of different contexts across the Western world, perhaps even broader than that. If I look at how the church is doing here, I feel like we are a church that has been asleep for quite some time. Uh, the spiritual environment here, I don't know, yeah, that's a, that's a, maybe a strange term. The, the the environment within the church, this, the how the church has responded, has been one of things are, and, and this is speaking broadly, and I'm not cr- trying to criticize any individuals, just painting a scene of how I see the the overall scenario uh, scene of Northern Irish Christianity. Um, is you know, we're we're okay, like numerically, we're okay. We can pay the bills, kind of. We're we're not too bad. We would be a sort of more Christian area of the UK. Northern Ireland is is stronger in terms of church attendance, so not quite as much as the Bible Belt, but but that sort of equivalent for this region. So we're okay. Um, the fact that things are looking poor in terms of young people coming through, in terms of church leaders coming through, in terms of um, you know reaching the lost. And then in terms of the broader culture, how things are really very quickly sliding away from what has been in this place over 1500 years of very devout Christianity. That's, that's you know, we we were from the so St. Patrick, many will know of St. Patrick, a good portion of his work was up in Northern Ireland, like it was around this area. A lot of the Irish saints that followed after him similarly were based around here and so this has always been a very strong area and yet it feels like the church has allowed that to slip and perhaps needed a little bit and does need a little bit of a wake-up call that might be uncomfortable i intentionally was setting people up to hear some uncomfortable home truths perhaps as to how things are but from a perspective of we need to turn this round, and I think we can. I'm not saying that it's done or it's hopeless, um, but if we want to turn it round, we need to change something quickly. So that's my my sort of that was the premise of the book. And and you called it a loving poke in the eye. And I, I think your love for the church came through pretty clear in your in your book, even as you were bringing the hard word. Uh, you said on page eleven, we we need we need a move of God. Uh, we need a move of God in the heart of not just the a move of God in the heart of some individuals. Um, uh, we need a bucket of cold water, a jolt from the blue, an air, air horn six inches from our face. We need a widespread move of God that impacts an entire church in an entire region, a move of God that dramatically changes people, not just in singles and smatterings, but in stadiums, a move of God that shakes the church and saves the lost, that transforms societies and builds the platform for the next move he wants to bring and those coming after us. I mean, and and you keep going, by the way, which was just riveting to read. I'm reading that. I'm like, yes, we need that, Lord. We need that. 
Uh, we want to see that. Um, and then you just told this hilarious story of follow it up, which is great writing. Uh, and you asked the question, okay, what is revival? And then you tell a story <laughs> about your sister. And I found both of those were so helpful. So uh, what is revival and what in the world does your sister and her accent have to do with revival as Jamie sees it? Sure. Yeah. So I'll start with the story, right? Because you've, 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 you've set people <laughs> up for that, right? So, um, so my sister has this thing, my younger sister, I have two sisters, but this is my younger one. She has this thing where whenever she meets someone that has a different accent, she's what I would call a, like a verbal chameleon. So she will adopt the accent of the person that she's talking to pretty much immediately and without any sort of hint of embarrassment and without any skill. I'm going to be honest as well. That's that, you know, there's <laughs> there, the, the talent for the accent might not be there, but the effort will. So I remember once being on holiday, we were on vacation, we were, we were away somewhere and she met some English girls. So she was maybe 10 years old at the time. I'm a few years old. I was 13 probably. And I remember her, you know, going around in this thick sort of British Cockney accent, really bad one. I say, hello, my name's Sophie. I'm from Northern Ireland. Where are you from? Like that kind of accent. And so she was she was introducing it to me. He said, that's my brother, Jamie. And I just, everything in me at that point wanted to respond like with the thickest Texan, you know, well, howdy partner, sure is great to meet you. Yeehaw, you know, um, so, so that's, that's the story. Um, the, the point of the story, which is perhaps the more spiritually edifying bit, perhaps that was the entertaining bit, the edifying bit is that. The point was um, just to rag on your sister in a book, right? Well, yeah, primarily. Right. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was the, I wrote the entire <laughs> book just to get that story in. Um, the point of the story though, is, is that, uh, she has a normal accent. And whenever she comes back to normality, so she she lived in Australia for a long time. Every time we would phone her, she would start off in Australian. And then within like a minute, she would be back to her Northern Irish accent. And that is what I believe the that revival is. Revival is, I think, God bringing the church back to what should be its normal state. I think we 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 sometimes view normal incorrectly sometimes we think that normal is the like long term state that that is that that's the state that we see it in most common that that's normal and that's one one way of using the word normal but another normal another way to use the word normal is that the norm it's it's like the standard and that's set by something so God has a standard for his church. God has an expectation of what his church is going to look like. He has an expectation for the, the prayer life of the church, the outreach of the church, the, the how, how full of the spirit we are, all of these things, right? And we sometimes think that revival is just a unique moment of blessing. But I think that it feels like a unique moment of blessing because we've lived so far below the normal of what God actually has for us most of the time. I think God actually would love for what we consider to be special outpouring, special times of blessing to be much more normal, to be actually the regular existence of the church. The So, so the boldness of the preaching, if you look at the, the first great awakening or one of those, you know, wonderful examples where God moved powerfully, like, those guys were out there doing something, but they're, they're, they're not doing much other than 
what the Bible actually tells the church to do. Be committed to prayer. Go and reach the lost. Go and preach the gospel with boldness. You know, be holy in your living and your lifestyle. Um, all, all of these things. So, so that's what I think revival ultimately is, is God shifting us back to what actually should be our normal state. Um, yeah. And so, and so, yes, that's, that's how my sister's accent connects with uh, the outpouring of the Spirit of God in revival. Uh, it's so great. And um, you made some other comments just to milk the sister story for one more nugget of insight that, that I thought I was eat. Is he just milking this? Is he wants to keep bragging on his sister? But he had one more great comment of, um, well, people know when our version uh, is a watered-down attempt to copy whatever's fashionable, or imagine that your sister thought that by copying the Cockney accent, which I won't seek to imitate what a Northern Irish gal imitating a Cockney gal <laughs> would sound like you did that for us both. But imagine that by doing that, she was preparing the world to become Northern Irish. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's that is what we see sometimes. Like, let's let's try to do the world the world's way and then expect that that's going to actually win the world to Christ. Well, that's that's not it. The bold preaching of the gospel uh, is is the way. So, hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to ask you, Jamie, to just share two of the insights uh, from the back end of your book about uh, lessons for the church today, if we want to see that type of move of God in our world today. So we'll be right back. Hey, it's Heather. Are you a Christian student? Do you want to make an impact for Jesus? Maybe looking around your school, you see your friends and classmates struggling, and you want them to find hope in Jesus. But where to begin? What if you could not only give your friends the gospel, but your whole entire school? It's possible, and you don't have to do it alone. I want to encourage you to join students across the nation in the Lead and Outreach Week Challenge. We've seen thousands of students lead outreach weeks on their campuses, most of the time in their auditorium or gym, during lunch or after school. And as a result, thousands and thousands of students have heard the gospel and many given their lives to Christ. So here's the challenge for you. Lead an outreach week at your school, lead five days of prayer, promo, gospel events, and follow-up so that everyone at your school has the chance to meet Jesus. Now you might be wondering, is this even legal to have a big gospel event at my public school? Yes, it is. If it's an approved student-led event through the Christian Club where attendance is optional for all students, you can proclaim the gospel all you want. I got to lead an outreach week in high school and it was so great. Nothing was better than growing in my faith, teaming up with these Christians on campus together, really giving our whole school the chance to hear the gospel. I saw people come that I didn't even think wanted to hear the name of Jesus, but they listened, asked questions, and even some responded in faith. The spirit was moving. I remember passing out a flyer to a student, Martin, that day in the library, seeing him come three days in a row, asking questions about God, and later that week he made a decision to accept Christ and even started coming to church with my family. There's nothing better than sharing the hope we have in Jesus and leaving the results to God. So if you want to see an awakening to the love of Christ at your school, I want to challenge you to take the Lead and Outreach Challenge on decisionpoint.org outreach. You'll get to go and get all you need to be encouraged, equipped, and empowered 
for this challenge. Go ahead and go to decisionpoint.org outreach. Hey, well, welcome back. We're here with uh, Jamie Bambrick, or as Jamie would say it, come on, Jamie, hit us one more time. Jamie Bambrick. Jamie, you wrote some great reading about the history of revival in Northern Ireland, starting with St. Patrick, and then even talking about the, a revival that the Lord brought to Northern Ireland. And is it 1859? Did I get that right? That's right. Yeah. And then even how both of those revivals spread throughout the world and how those revivals not only impacted your country, but then through that, the world, and how you're, you're now praying for God to do something again, both for your country and for the good of the world, which I, I love that prayer. Um, I'd love for you to share all of those stories, but for sake of time, could you just kind of share some of the lessons that you draw from that on the need for prayer and the need for courage? And uh, maybe we could just start with the, the need for prayer uh, what what should we be learning about the need for prayer today as you've looked at revivals in your country before? Yeah, I think when you look at any revival, you'll, you'll find a lot of variation uh, in, in revivals across history and time and space. You'll find variation even of, of theology, uh, you know, on, on secondary matters. Um, you know, so, you, so, so at the same time as you have the sort of George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards doing the more, you know, reformed Calvinistic theology of the First Great Awakening in America. You have the Methodist revival with the Wesleys going on here. And Wesley and Whitfield were friends, um, but the, and they would have been on the Arminian or, or it's even known as Wesleyan side of that, right? So you have, you have variation. One of the big consistent themes that I think you see in every move of God is the people of God turning to him in prayer. I would argue that a, 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 an outpouring of prayer for revival is, in fact, the commencement of one. Like, if you can, you can trace that back, um, and it, you see the outward fruit of it, perhaps later, perhaps even years later. But the the answer to to the the, the cry for revival, I think, begins with people even just starting to cry out more and more for it. I think that's. That's one of the key things. So, so our history here is one of, um, you know, you look at the the Irish saints, and again, the, the full story is is in the book, or uh, you know, some of the key bits of that story anyway, and a little bit more of an overview. But they were remarkably committed to prayer, uniquely committed to prayer. Saint Patrick, whenever he so he was brought to Ireland as a slave, and um, immediately began to pray. He probably arrived as a nominal Christian but recognized that he needed God's help. And he talks about praying in his confession, uh, which is his big sort of autobiographical work. He talks about praying up to a hundred times a day and then up to a hundred times more at night. And that was likely some rote prayers that he had perhaps learned. So it may not have been sort of, I imagine it was the Lord's prayer and maybe a few others that he knew. Um, but nonetheless, it was a, it was his heart towards God. He was passionately desperately praying that God would do something for, for his deliverance, but then also ended up, I think, within that praying for Ireland. You then see him coming back. Amazing stories of what happened and how this nation that was a really dark pagan nation full of, you know, demonic gods that demanded human sacrifice run by Druids, never, never overtaken by the Romans, completely uncivilized, in one generation becomes a, basically a Christianized nation incredible. And then you have 
the, the legacy of that prayer that plays out over the next few hundred years with the Irish monks. So people often think that monks are were were are you know trying to get away from the world. The Irish monks operated pretty much the opposite. They were really embedded in the society. They were frontier missionaries, um, and and you know were 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 not sort of this uh, formal monastic order. They were much more you know informal and out there than that. But there's a place about ten minutes from where I live called uh, Bangor. Which uh, was was started. There was a monastery started there. It ended up having several thousand monks who had a day and night prayer meeting that lasted for two hundred and fifty years. So, so these men were praying constantly. They took shifts to be in constant prayer, and that leads to all of these remarkable moves of God that happened then across the Western world, across Europe, and and these missionaries are sent out from those places full of the power of God, full of, you know, just the, the whatever God was doing there seemed to, seemed to come out with them into the world, into these places that were really dark and desperate and were radically transformed. So so that was part of that legacy. And then, yes, as you said, 1859 was was a, an amazing move of God, really, in this province. So in the, in the place of, it's kind of hard to tell exactly when it stopped, but about one to perhaps two years, commencing in 1859, about one in 10 people in the province came to saving faith, which if you can imagine, you know, one in every 10 of your friends having come to faith in the last year or so, that's that's a huge, huge amount of people. But that was started by basically three men in a, a small village uh, up in uh, County Antrim. So, you know, probably about 40 minutes from where I live, praying in a barn, just asking God to save some friends. They saw someone come to faith. Then they saw another person come to faith. More people started to join them for prayer. It grew and grew until these they had the, all these regular prayer meetings every night. People were coming to faith spontaneously or walking into churches and being blown away by just the, the presence and the power of God or something that the preacher spoke or whatever it might be. And that led to this enormous revival. So th- there will be, as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's 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 not that I think we manufacture things. It's not that we drum up things or twist God's arm through prayer. But I think when God wants to move, he actually starts by getting us to pray. I think he, he, he leads his church into prayer as he is about to move. So yeah, passionate prayer is, uh, and persevering, persistent, ongoing prayer is, is essential for a move of God. I've never read a story of a move of God that didn't have that as a core element in the build up to it and then often ongoing throughout it as well. Yeah, I like how you said passionate and uh, persistent and persevering prayer and made some comments even about, so uh, should we pray when we don't feel like it? Yes, we should pray when we don't feel like it. Like the guy taking the 3 a.m. shift probably didn't feel like it lots of the time. And um, we should just pray more. And that's a, a great word. Uh, Jamie, you also had a call for courage, uh, of the need for courage. Uh, tell us more about that. Why do you believe that uh, courage is an essential trait for the church if we're going to see the type of revival that we so desperately need? Yeah. So I think it's interesting. I'll go, I'll go back to scripture on this as um, obviously the, the foundation for everything. Um but we'll go, so we'll go further back than the Irish saints who had plenty of examples of wonderful courage. But one of the things that you see in the book of Acts is 
the willingness of those who were preaching, if you study the sermons of the book of Acts, all of them that I can read, bar one, which is the sermon to the Gentiles that are kind of almost believing already, they're they're really hungry to believe in Jesus. But all of the other sermons that are preached contain within them a pretty direct confrontation of the sins that were prevalent in the culture to which they were being preached. So you read in uh, Acts chapter 2, for instance, Peter says to the people of Jerusalem, you crucified Jesus, like the Christ whom you crucified. He, He points out the sin of that city and goes, you did this and you need to return. Or, or repent and, and turn from your sin. And you see that played out over and over again. All of those sermons contain something of, you, you're getting this wrong. You, you've, you've made an error here. And so I, I think when you see gospel preaching like that, that often, um, I, I think it should lay down a challenge for us uh, in our, the way that we communicate the gospel, which is to, to not shy away from telling people that they need to turn from their sin, which which is uncomfortable, and to not leave it just in a generic way. Because I think that can often be the temptation. So some sometimes the preaching of the gospel in our age, it can turn very much into a sort of only the positive message. Um, and it is a positive message, but my the pastor that I grew up with said put it this way one time. He said, you know, if you were walking alongside someone on a bridge and you said, I love you, and then you just jumped into the river for no reason, they would be a little bit surprised. They would go, how does that make sense? But if they're drowning in the river and then you jump in to save them, then suddenly what you're doing makes sense. If you're able to say to people, you actually have sin that you need saved from, like you're not, because the world's the world's message is you are good as you are. You, you know, just believe in yourself, follow your heart, everything, all of your impulses are right and good, and anybody who says otherwise is wrong and judgmental. Then, then, then the news that you need to be saved from your sin doesn't really make a lot of sense. But if you go, no, the, like the Bible says, these things are sins. Like, like the things that you're doing, and you can you obviously apply this slightly differently in different contexts, right? Because not every culture and not every society commits the same sins, and not every person you talk to you can do that on an individual level is committing the same sins. But there is a need for people to be aware of their sins so that they know how good the salvation is, so that they know that this actually is a glorious message for them, as opposed to something irrelevant, as opposed to something that doesn't touch what they, in fact, are doing and and what their lifestyle and experience is. So that does require courage because that is an an uncomfortable message to give. We, We often like as I said, we often like to just give the positive bits um, or we keep it generic. We just go, Jesus died to save us from sin. What sin would that be? Who knows? Uh, couldn't couldn't possibly say, wouldn't be able to give any further details. No, like we could give actual details and that punchiness of doing that actually gives the gospel more power. So um, yeah, that, that requires courage. I think that that is the biblical model of communicating the gospel is to find the sins that people need forgiven from and say, this is sin. Here's here's the grace that's on offer. Here is the forgiveness. But to not offer that 
in in just a vacuum in a place that that doesn't actually have any bearing on the person's life and lifestyle. So yeah, that that does take courage, and increasingly it takes courage as the world then becomes more and more comfortable with certain sins. Take sexuality as a big one in our day and our age. The world views those things as a positive moral good, not just neutral. It is a, it is it is a good thing. You should have pride over your sexuality and your sexual sin. Um, to to confront that does require courage, and I think we increasingly need that courage more and more as we communicate the gospel. But if we will have it, I think we'll be able to communicate the gospel very powerfully and clearly in a way that that really reaches people. Yeah, that's a great a great word. I mean, the uh, the specific sins. I mean, you could either think of what's the specific sin of the person you're talking to, or you could just think of even all the sins that you, of the people that you're talking to. We're working on a new like gospel presentation tool for students to use. And we're, we're looking to include uh, Mark 7, uh, 21 to 23, where Jesus says, out of the heart of man come. And then, I mean, he lists about 10 different things, you know, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come out of a person and they make him unclean. And it's been interesting. I've been using that verse as I've been sharing the gospel with people. It it really does grab people, you know, to hear Jesus who, you know, have this preconception of Jesus, uh, nice, uh, Jesus loves me just as I am. I was actually out at one of our local uh, colleges sharing this with somebody. When I got to that verse, I'm talking to a guy uh, and he's tracking with me. I mean, he's, he's fine. I don't even know if we were getting into any specific sins of his own, but just reading this verse from Jesus, this other lady is there and she just tears into me. And she wants to just, uh, she's like, I'm cool with Jesus. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Jesus taught love. Jesus did not teach hate. And which is interesting in light of our earlier conversation, right? Um, tell the guy, you don't need what this guy's telling you. You just need Jesus. Jesus taught only love and that's it. And what this guy's telling you is, hey, you don't need it. You can have Jesus and he loves you just like you are. And <laughs> no, that's that's not the message. And uh, wasn't that, uh, didn't take that much courage for me, to, but it was an interesting moment as in this lady yell at me in front of 10 other people. I'm trying to just talk to this young man about the Lord who actually wanted to know. And I think if we do that, you're right. I mean, it will get, it will get interesting, uh, but it also get just wildly exciting as people actually get saved, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so important to do it because, so going back to the original, uh, he gets us advert, but also the, the tendency that that reflects in the way that we do evangelism a lot of the time is to sort of pander or tone down a little bit, you know, and go, yeah, let's, let's just keep it, keep it positive. The problem is that at some point you need to have that conversation. Like, you know, so, so let's say you do that for the sake of winning souls and you get some, what you might say, easy decisions or something like that. The problem is that what you win them with is what you win them to. And so, if if they have come into what they believe is Christianity, and there could be a debate over whether that's real salvation or not, but I, I would assume probably not if you've not heard the true gospel. But even even if someone has has made some sort of commitment that's that seems believable, you then have to uh, keep the the only way to keep them in the faith is to continue that compromise the whole way through the discipleship journey. 
as opposed to having that conversation up front, as opposed to going, no, this like there's sin here that needs to be repented of and turned from. And and so the the, the idea that that will lead to more fruit, that by by toning things down, by refusing to you use terms like sin or evil or repentance or repentance, um, that you're actually helping people come to faith. You're you're really doing the opposite. In fact, you're 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 obscuring the gospel. You're making it more confusing. And then, if they've made a real commitment, you've you've placed a bunch of barriers for the, their discipleship journey. Or more than likely, they haven't actually made a true commitment. So, yeah, no, I think I think it's really important to 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 be upfront with what we believe. And I, I I think in some way the world probably respects that a little bit more. I, I don't know how much the world respects something like that that sort of toned down thing where it's like, we're, we're not going to tell you what we really believe. It's kind of like the salesman who shows up at your door and they, I, I don't mind if someone comes and goes, I would like to sell you something. Here's A, B, C, and D. Would you like it? And I, I respect that even if I don't want it. It's the person who shows up at your door and starts asking, about your day and tries to be your friend and you know m- makes the same joke they've made with 50 other people that day I, I, that that I don't like and I think the world feels that way about Christians yeah. that kind of try and portray the gospel in a way that is um th- it's that salesman sort of attitude I, th- I think it's much better to be clear um whilst whilst obviously being kind and so on but but to be clear is is important well, I think that I, and I've seen even videos even in the last week of people who are diametrically opposed to everything that we stand for, but then we're also taking exception with the ads that were played and just saying that's, uh, it's, they're, they're almost telling everybody, hey, don't buy it. They're trying to like make like they're all nice and kind, but really there's still those hateful Christians that hate us and because they really believe that what we're doing is wrong. And uh, not to say if the ad were reversed and it was more direct and explicit that that person would be necessarily won over. Uh, but I think that point that, that, yeah, but they can still see past that and they're not buying it is, is a real one. Uh, Jamie, I would love for you just to go out with a, a call to students to count the cost. Um, we need the Lord to do something big in our time. We do need a revival. We do need an awakening. It's not going to come easy. Uh, what would you say to students about counting the cost for what God would have for them uh, for the moment that they're living in and growing up in today? What, what I would say is this. I, I think that if you are if you're a young person growing up today, you are walking through a, a uniquely challenging time to be a believer uh, and more challenging than I was that, than I went through at their stage. But it is also a unique opportunity. It, it is a unique opportunity. It's a unique opportunity because there are so many people who have not heard the true gospel presented, and therefore it is so much more of an exciting message to so many people because they've, they've not actually heard that before. Um, and, and it's also a unique opportunity from, uh, like, there's an eternal reward element to to doing this thing and doing it right. There's there's an opportunity that you have to go, do you know what? There's a reward in heaven for if you if you get a little bit of pushback, if you get some some flack as we would say, I don't know if you guys use that term. If you get if you get some some challenges for for preaching the gospel in a way that's clear. So it, it is essential to that that young people in our day 
have the confidence of their convictions and know that God is with them and know that if they take that stand, that actually the Holy Spirit, who has been poured out into our hearts, is not going to leave them hanging and leave them, uh, you know, on their own in doing this, that he's actually going to support them in it and enable them to stand uh, in dark times, which many of us are are facing. So absolutely, totally encourage them, like, just keep going for it. Trust that God can do something. And it's crazy sometimes, I mean, again, this started off with a small video that was maybe a little bit countercultural and and went somewhere. God, God can do that through little small acts of just, I'm going to say something, I'm going to do something. And it's awesome to see how he can then use that for something great and glorious. So yeah, go for it. Hey, Jamie, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks for your ministry. Thanks for all you're doing in your local church and uh, through your YouTube channel. Uh, we wish you all the best. Appreciate all you're doing to even just spread the word about what we're trying to do. It'd be fun to do something with you in Northern Ireland someday. But in the meantime, we wish you uh, all the best. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. No, great to be with you. Great to talk. All right, guys, well, join us next week as we're going to dive deeper into our series, A Call for Courage. Hey, listen, share this episode with somebody who needs to hear the encouragement that Pastor Jamie shared with you today. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.